morning, everyone. It has worked out as I've been working through the book of Ephesians. You can open your Bibles to Ephesians 5. Um, I didn't double check, but I think it's pretty much worked out that every other time I preach, I've been preaching from Ephesians. And then in the weeks in between, I've generally been led elsewhere. Um, I'm fine with how that's worked out, but I thought about it when I was uh, reading back through this over the last couple days that um, one of the disadvantages is Ephesians can get pretty dense. Um, there can be a lot packed in, and then um, we can maybe lose some of the context as we have big gaps between coming back to it. Um, but I trust God can can work with this. Um, the last time we looked at Ephesians here on a Sunday morning uh, was Ephesians 5 and the first two verses. Um, I had initially thought that I was going to preach a sermon that covered the first 21 verses of Ephesians. Um, so we got through two last time. Um, the title I had then was Genuine Imitation, Love, and we're going to continue down the path of looking at genuine imitation, this time with light. So as we, as we look at this passage, um, we have, well, it starts off with being imitators of God as dear children. And I'll, I'll cover some of the same uh, introduction or preamble that I did last time. Um, we thought about uh, the expression like father, like son, and how you often have young boys, they, uh, they want to be like daddy. And so whether that's them pretending to shave or pretending to fix their bike because daddy's out there you know, fixing the brakes or, or whatever, you know, they, they, they find the things that they see daddy doing and they do something similar um, because they're, they're imitating. Um, and many sons take on characteristics of their fathers, and uh, many of them want to grow up to be like them. Of course, in the world today, there are a lot of fatherless children or people who have abusive or just absent, in one way or another, fathers. Uh, we get to call God Father. As believers, as redeemed children of his, we get to call him Father. And so here we have in Ephesians 5, there in verse 1, Paul urging us to imitate our Heavenly Father. Um, and then he says, well, through, through the chapters leading up, he, he's just shown us a magnificent picture of, of the Father um, all through the book so far. And we're in the section of Ephesians now where it's more nitty-gritty, more practical. Um, this is how you live it out. This is how you experience it in the day-to-day. And um, here we have the only place where we're told in this straightforward term, imitate God. 
Uh, Paul said imitate him a couple times. He even talked about congregations imitating other congregations in 1 Thessalonians. Here is the place where he says straightforward, imitate God. And, of course, we know we can't imitate God in everything. Um, We can't create the world out of nothing. We can't know all things. But we get to reflect God's character in some ways, in many ways. Um, We are his image bearers by uh, the first creation. Um, And we are... um, Redeemed, and we've been changed by the power of his spirit as new creatures. So, the three sections of imitation um, that that we see here in this in this chapter uh, is he Paul uses the term of walks, uh, and we have walking in love, which we already looked at in the first two verses, walking in light, and then walking in wisdom. So this morning, let's look at. Imitating God being genuine imitations um, and walking in light. Let's go ahead and read from, I'll read from verse 1 down through, we'll read through verse 14. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as it is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, or nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. In this section, Paul describes the themes of light and darkness by contrasting the works of darkness and light, the works of darkness and the fruit of light. Um, We see in verse 8, Paul stating, For you were once darkness. That one has fascinated me through the years. Um, He doesn't say we were walking in darkness. Uh, He says you were once darkness. But through the gospel, He then says, you are light in the Lord. So our identity has changed. Because you are light, then Paul says, walk as children of light. So we've seen this uh, multiple times in Ephesians. Paul calls believers to become what they are. Um, He says, you are this, be this. Um, You are light in the Lord, so walk as children of light. You are light. And we have 
Peter talked about that in 1 Peter 2. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And John also spoke about it in 1 John 1. For the sake of time, we won't read that, but 1 John 1, 1 through 5. Um, John also speaks about us being called out of darkness and into God's amazing light. There, John says, in God there is no darkness at all. So, the question for the believer is, how do we walk in light? We can find an answer for this by observing three things Paul calls us to in this passage. Three uh, exhortations. He calls us to three specific things, at least, that we'll highlight. Um, He calls us to exalt God and not idols. He calls us to exhibit the fruit of light. And he calls us to expose the darkness. So we have a few calls to action here, a few ways that we live out who we are. So exalting God and not idols we see primarily in verses 3 through 6. Paul mentions several sins here to describe a dark life. And this this whole section in here is where what I mean when I say dense or heavy, um, there's there's a lot here that that we're warned against. Um, it's been good for me to slow down and and try to unpack the the gravity of everything Paul's saying. So we're going to try to do that this morning. Um, Paul mentions several sins here: sexual immorality, impurity. Greed and filthy speech would be the the four easy ways to kind of classify them, I guess. Um, And these sins all grow out of a heart that's replaced God with some other functional savior or satisfier. Um, Any one of those four grow out of a heart that has replaced God, has given God's place in their heart over to some other practical, everyday, functional Savior or satisfier. God is to be your Savior and your satisfier. He is to be everything for you. And you cannot live in any of those classes of sin um, if he is that for you. You have to let him be supplanted for that to happen. So, uh, we have in the first part of verse 3, fornication and uncleanness. Those would be the terms in the King James reading. In the New King James, we saw sexual immorality, um, and we have impurity. When we're talking about uncleanness, we'll unpack that a little more. Um, You know, we might might think sometimes that we're pretty advanced. Hey, we're in 2022 now. I wrote on my notes that I was preaching January 2nd, 2021, I think. we're in 2022, you know, we live in the future, right? I remember as a boy thinking 2020 was one of those, you know, fake dates you would read in a, you know, future novel or whatever, and here we are, it's 2022. Um, we live in the future, we, we're, we're advanced, right? Um, but when we, we were out on a boat a little bit um, one day this week and we couldn't see land anymore, and... Uh, I think it was Burns wanted to know, well, how, how do they know where we are? Um, well, it used to be that would have been a whole lot more complicated. It was foggy, you couldn't see much, and uh, where we are in the middle of the day when it's foggy is, uh, I can tell you the general idea. Well, 
you know, you look up on the front of the boat and there's that spinning radar and they've got their GPS signal. And so they would have had a map up there showing, well, we're this far off the shore and all that stuff. We live in the future. We're advanced people. Well, I read this and I think we have the same sin issues plaguing us that face the first century church. For all of our advancement, we've not advanced past the temptations to common sin. Impurity here, the uncleanness, the idea is impurity. It's a broad word that refers to any type of filth. Um, you think of impurity, um, the one evening on our trip, we got ice cream, and we were there in the car eating ice cream, and uh, I didn't, I ate part of mine and had put it in the cup holder and was trying to navigate, and a tissue was dropped into it, a used tissue was dropped in the top of it. I didn't eat the rest of the ice cream. Now, the vast majority of that little cup of ice cream was untouched by anything untoward. Um, still didn't eat it because my mind told me, or my something told me, uh, oh, that that's that's impure now. It's got some impurities. Well, the vast majority of it was unperturbed, right? No, that's not quite how impurity works. A little bit comes in and it defiles the whole. That's impurity, uncleanness. Um, it's a pretty broad word. It can refer to any type of filth. Um, it's sometimes combined with sexual immorality. But Paul here says any. So we can't limit it to just um, sexual impurity in, in this passage. Um, any filthiness can't be a part of your life. You can look back in chapter 4, verse 19 to get a similar uh, call from Paul there. It basically means we should live lives of um, pervasive holiness. Holiness is just in your life filling all the cracks. Um, you know, if you pour pour water out into, uh, if you pour water on this floor, all these little grooves um, between the boards, the water is going to fill those in, right? It's not just going to sit here and ride along the tops of the boards. It's going to get everywhere it can go. Um, that's what holiness needs to be in your life. It needs to get into all the little facets and all the little, uh, all the little cracks. Remember 1 Peter 1:16. God said, "Be holy, because I am holy." I guess Peter was quoting it in 1 Peter um, from an Old Testament passage. So. Paul, of course, though, here does refer to sexual immorality. Um, in the Colossians passage that pretty much parallels this, he puts that first. Um, also in Colossians 3.5, put to death your members which are on the earth, um, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness. The word used here for sexual immorality or fornication in uh, the King James Bible is pornea, um, and it's used a lot in Scripture to cover different kinds of uh, sexual sins. And Scripture gets specific about types of sin that are um, forbidden, um, but uh, it's 
struggling to know what all to say and what not to say. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27. He comes all the way down to your thought life. He says, right down to your lustful thoughts. Um, some people will try to work around this teaching of Scripture, whether that be adultery and saying it's okay to be um, married to a bunch of different women through the years and um, have a, a marriage relationship like that. Um, people, people just try to work around the teaching of Scripture, but remember what Paul says, there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality in the believer's life. Paul's words are clear. You were darkness, now you are light. Become what you are. We have to resist the temptation to rename sin. Um, and uh, that is just rampant. Um, it's for mature audiences. It's uh, an adult, adults only, or uh, versus child safe or family friendly. And all these terms that are thrown out there, we can't start to adopt those as our measuring stick. Um, God's measuring stick is sin is sin. We cannot redefine it. The attitude of the world around us is, if it feels good, it must be good. Um, that is not godly. That is not what God says or has established. Now, you cannot merely try to manage sin. Um, it's not some dragon you can you know, just make sure that you uh, keep it either fed or in the right kind of cage and everything will be okay. Um, in Colossians 3, 5, we're instructed that God's people, as God's people, we have to seek to kill sin. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Um, and then in 1 Corinthians 6 and in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, Paul uses terms of fleeing. We flee sexual immorality um, in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Um, Flee. That's that's putting it into action. That is you turning on the afterburners and getting out of there. Um, okay. Yeah, I was trying to remember the name of the song. Um, there's a children's song I learned growing up. Put on your running shoes, um, and we sang it in Bible club a little bit a number of years ago here, um, when uh, when Joseph worked in Potiphar's house and. Uh, he was faced with the temptation. He put on his running shoes. And he got out of there. Um, and when sin comes knocking at your door, you put on your running shoes. You get out of there. You flee. We seek to kill sin. We seek to flee from sin. We don't simply try to manage it, which I'm afraid sometimes we slip into. We think that we can just manage these things. Ultimately, uh, pornea, the, the Greek word that's used there for, for this kind of lustful um, sin, it's idolatry. Uh, later on, Paul specifically refers to idolatry when he talks about greed and covetousness. Um, a lot of the ancient world, including Ephesus, would have had a lot of sexual practices wrapped up in their idolatry and their idol worship. Um, and, and Paul doesn't use that term here for, for this um, but when it comes down to it, that is a sin that is the result of not honoring God. Um, 
Let's go ahead and look at Romans 1 a little bit. Always torn between just referring to passages that we know fairly well versus let's go back and read them again um, in the context of what we're talking about. Romans 1, um, I'm just going to quickly read through Romans 1 starting at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thought. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. I'll stop reading there, though you can... Come back to it and read the rest of that chapter later. It will do you still a good warning for you. Um, People give themselves over to that in an act of idolatry. That is really what it is. It is replacing God with something else. Your life is an overflow of your heart. And a sexual sin problem, a lust problem, is fundamentally a worship problem. Um, and if you don't get that worship problem solved you're never going to enjoy the beautiful gift God has given um, the way God intended and of course this is not a new sin we can look back to David and Bathsheba Um, this is not a new thing but the fact is pornography is more accessible today than ever um It's not overblown to say it's everywhere. What the world calls pornography is easier than ever to get, and there's a lot on display that the world doesn't call pornography, that the redeemed child of God knows actually is. Lust-inducing imagery isn't limited to a certain shelf at the convenience store. Um, Yeah, driving through town, you are bombarded with it without ever leaving your car sometimes. So Paul's words are timely and timeless. They're needed right now, but they've been needed from the beginning. Of course, as churches, we should be known for restoring those who've fallen into sexual sin. But don't let Satan or selfishness fool you. There is no healing apart from repentance. Um, repentance involves acknowledging the sin, believing that you need to change, experiencing the grace and forgiveness of God, and changing your life. That's the part of repentance that often never get. People sometimes don't get to. They start working through it, and they don't get to that part of turning the 180 and going the other direction. They don't get their running shoes on. We need to humbly repent and call others to repentance. 
Paul talks about greed here in, in verse 3. Uh, covetousness. I, I just ended up boiling it down to greed in my notes. Um, mostly because maybe it's... Well, okay. Greed is sneaky too, but covetousness seems really sneaky. Um, covetousness is a sin that other people have, right? Um, well, maybe we're a little quicker with a term we're more familiar with, like greed, and saying, yes, I was a little greedy. Um, when when somebody you know, takes the extra cookie or whatever, they might say, oh, I was greedy. I've never heard anyone say, oh, I was covetous. Um, it, it boils down to the same thing. It's it's about the that desire for more that you just want to quench, and you're going to figure out a way to quench it. Actually, just the desire is is that desire that that desire for more is where where the root of the problem is. Um, Paul identifies it as idolatry in verse five, and also in Colossians three verse five. Um, if you think to the the law God gave um, to His people through Moses in the old covenant, the first commandment was to not have any other god before Him, and the tenth think um, was thou shalt not covet well breaking the tenth meant breaking the first uh, wanting something like that meant you were allowing something to take that that God role in your life um, when you were coveting greed is about the heart it's about desiring something more than God when it comes down to it Jesus told his followers to watch out and be on guard against greed to not become a rich fool um, in Luke 12 uh, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. And then he told the parable of the man who uh, his farm really produced, and he said, well, I'm going to pull down my barns, throw up some new big ones, and I'm going to live easy and live high. Um, and God said to him, Luke 12:20, fool. Do you want to be called a fool by God? That is covetousness. And maybe, maybe, that's not the way I want to say it. Jesus had to tell us to watch out because none of us really thinks we're greedy. Um, Even those of us who maybe get convicted sometimes, we get convicted that we got pretty close to it. But do we actually ever get convicted that, no, I'm greedy. That deep in here is something driving me for something ungodlike. Um, very few people think the topic of greed applies to them. Greed is sneaky. In materialistic cultures, welcome to America, covetousness is the currency that enables the economy. Wanting stuff is what makes the American economy work. Um, and I read, I don't remember who wrote it now, but I read somebody who said, uh, greed is the air breathed. Um, and uh, yeah when you look at the world as a whole and how it operates that's not too far from the truth what gets people going each day is what they want to get so Jesus commands us to delight in God to store up treasure in heaven also in Luke 12 um, he said do not fear little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom sell what you have and give alms Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in in the heavens that does not fail. 
where no thief approaches or moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's Luke 12, 32 through 34. Jesus tells us, delight in God, put your treasure where God is. Um, and so Paul told Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. Um, he also said greed kills in 1 Timothy 6. Um, and he talks about uh, the rich not setting their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God. In 1 Timothy 6:17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Ultimately, the God of money will not satisfy. It's empty. The call is for believers to find their satisfaction in God alone. By God's grace, Christians make money. They thank God for it, and they use it for the right purposes and they worship God alone. This isn't in my notes. Do, do I say it anyway? Um, a couple of years ago, I was really convicted about greed in my life. And um, what really drove it home was missing out on an opportunity to... So I do some photography as a hobby. And a couple years ago, um, Amazon, uh, every summer, has a couple days where they do big sales on a bunch of stuff. And a couple years, I would look and see, is there anything useful? And there never was. Um, and so I just ignored it. And uh, I don't remember. It was sometime in the last three or four years. Um, I, I, had logged in, I had even logged into Amazon at work to order something. And so, oh, it's Prime Day, you know, sales on this, that, and the other thing. And so, ah. Oh, all these people spending all this time, you know, looking through things they don't need, but oh, it's such a good deal they can't pass it up, and you know, bought whatever cables or whatever we needed to order, ordered them. And um, later that day, uh, somebody sent me a message and said, "So did you get a new camera today?" No. They said, "Well, somebody messed up at Amazon, and they were selling $3,000 cameras for less than $500." And they were selling, you know, anywhere from four to twelve thousand dollar lenses, all of them roughly thousand dollars or less. And they were honoring they once they figured it out after an hour or so, they fixed the prices, but they honored the sales that they had done under the wrong pricing. There were some people who made out big. They replaced their cameras and also bought a whole bunch of other cameras and lenses and sold them right away and turned huge profits. And there were a couple days there where I just felt kind of blue because, oh, you know, I could have had a really nice camera and, oh, you know, I could have paid down my mortgage by, you know, just buying and selling a couple lenses. And, and I realized there was something wrong in here because the amount that my emotions were tied to disappointment that I'd missed out on an economic opportunity told me God's not in his spot. Something's shoving him off of his throne and that something is stuff and money. Your disappointments will tell you a lot about what's sitting on the throne of your heart. Okay, that wasn't in my notes, but confession brings healing, the Bible says. <clears throat> in verse 4, we have corrupt speech. Uh, Christians must avoid coarse and foolish talking or crude joking. Um, 
Those walking in the light will not use language that is shameful or disgraceful. Uh, Colossians 3.8, But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. There's nothing wrong with humor and laughter, but humor can very easily be abused in malicious or vulgar ways. Um, and so Paul straight up forbids the Christian from crude joking. Paul says that in place of corrupt speech, the Christian should be known for giving thanks. He doesn't say zip your lip. He says replace what's coming out of your mouth. Um, and everything give thanks, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And he says here, we give thanks. That's what comes out. So cultivate a heart of gratitude. That means you're going to develop a, a vocabulary of thanksgiving. Your word is, uh, your word bank is going to be full of all sorts of thankful words that you're able to speak instead of filthiness. And again, the issue here is worship. Thanksgiving, not sinful speech, will come out of your mouth if your heart is turned toward God and tuned with Him if you are worshiping God. A grateful person speaks thanks and not trash. So, sexual sin, greed, corrupt talk, they're all really self-centered ways of thinking. We sin in these ways when we seek to gratify our own sinful desires. But thanksgiving, then, is that attitude that says to a Father that is in heaven above us, thank you uh, for your generosity. You've given me everything I need. We... We all came here, as far as I know, in vehicles that functioned reasonably well. They got us here, right? I think all of us came from houses that probably didn't leak too bad in the rain last night. Probably all had heat. All of us had something in our pantry or refrigerators this morning. We said thank you to God when we sat down to you know, eat your granola or whatever you had this morning, probably. Um, but did you say it because that's just what you do before you're allowed to put the granola in your mouth? Or... Have we actually kept cultivating that, that that was a gift from God? Most, it's very easy to get into the habit of, well, God provided it yesterday and the day before, and he provided it today. Wow. And then it becomes, God provided it yesterday and today. And then it just becomes, there's food here. It's very easy to lose the thankfulness. We have to cultivate it. He's given us everything we need. He's given us so much we don't deserve. We don't need to go seeking substitute gods for, for pleasure, for joy. And later in the chapter, uh, 18 through 21, Paul reiterates this thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, he says, is a result of the Spirit's work in the believer. And this is where we find power for replacing idols with true worship, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Um, in verses 5 and 6, we have some warning. Paul says those who persist in this dark lifestyle won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Does that sound like some things we've already looked at this morning? And in Galatians 5, 19 and 20, uh, 
also 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. can't say Paul didn't give us good warnings. I noticed the term practice in Galatians there. Do Christians fail in these areas, fall into these sins? Of course. Paul's writing to Christians and warning for a reason. You are a prime candidate to be tempted into one of these um, areas of sin. But true Christians will not persist in them. We're given this warning to be able to avoid them. And if, God forbid, you fall persistence in living for yourself is living outside of God and his grace. There is no way to live to live in a relationship with God and persist on a path of sin. Paul told the Corinthians um, in 1 Corinthians 6.11, um, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. This is right after saying, you were, he, he had a big list there of, you were lost in sin. You used to be like that, but you're washed, you're sanctified. You're in Jesus now. This warning emphasizes how foolish worldly pursuits are from a kingdom perspective. Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? In Mark 8. And Paul here in verse 6 um, piles on to his argument by saying, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Paul says, God's judgment, his wrath is coming on the unrepentant. So, don't listen to the scoffer who, mo who mocks God's judgment. Believers have a more satisfying God than any, uh, anything you can desire out there. Um, there is nothing that can satisfy you more than God. There is so much to be thankful for. God is worthy of endless thanksgiving, and God has given... God's given us a kingdom. Why would I waste that on trying to do just a little bit better in this shabby kingdom that we are living in right now? We won't get into exhibiting the fruit of light um, this morning or exposing the darkness. Worship the true God alone. Don't don't settle for a cheap substitute. Can we have a song, please? <laughs>